You're listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. John chapter 1. Last Sunday we started a uh, Christmas series uh, that, Lord willing, we will conclude next Sunday. Uh, If you were not here last week, uh, we started by looking at the Word before He became flesh. Today we're going to consider the Word when He became flesh. Uh, One of my favorite authors, uh, uh, Max Lucado, wrote a book a number of years ago called God Came Near. And uh, that book has a chapter entitled 25 Questions for Mary. Did you ever think about the interaction that Jesus would have had with his earthly family? Uh, Everything in Scripture points to and would indicate that he had a very normal upbringing in many respects. It's hard for us to, to fathom that, to understand how that would have worked. But I, I believe that he would have interacted with his, with his earthly mother and father in much the same way that our children would interact with us or that we interacted with our parents. But Max Licato is, is so good at, at, at getting you to think. He's really more of a devotional type author in my mind. Uh, Max Licato wouldn't uh, tell you that he's a, 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 a theologian necessarily in, in terms of the way that he writes. Um, But these are some pretty thought-provoking questions. I I just picked a few of the 25 questions uh, in this chapter called 25 Questions for Mary. Listen to this. What was it like watching him pray? Do you ever just think about that? To Mary, what was it like watching him pray? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him about the creation? Did you ever think of that? The creator. When he saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act differently? How did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? Did you ever accidentally call him father? Just imagine that night. You know, that night when a young girl by the name of Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Imagine as she looks into that baby's face. Into the face of her Savior, her Lord, her God. I have no doubt that she found it difficult to take her eyes off of that baby. For nine months she had carried him in her womb. He was her baby and yet he was so much more. As she holds him, she remembers the words of Gabriel, the angel. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him a throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so, at first glance, he he looks like any other baby. And yet he was not any other baby. He was Emmanuel, God in the flesh. It's almost hard to conceive. God as a fetus, 
holiness, sleeping in a womb, the creator being created. However, that is what happened when the word became flesh. And the more that I think about the word becoming flesh, the more I am amazed The word in eternity past was with God. The word was God and yet he became man. Christmas is about the word becoming flesh. When the Bible says that Mary brought forth forth her firstborn son in Luke chapter 2, that son was the word becoming flesh. When the Bible says that the shepherds, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the the baby lying in a manger, Luke chapter 2 again, that that babe was the word made flesh. Now again, last week we thought about the word before he became flesh. And understanding the word before he became flesh makes his becoming flesh even more amazing. John MacArthur uh, said that the incarnation is the central miracle of Christianity. The most grand and wonderful of all things that God has ever done. Now let's again look at John chapter 1. Let's first look at verses 1 through 3 as we did last week, and then we'll turn our attention uh, down the page a bit to verse number 14. John declares here again, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Let's pause right there for just a moment. Remember, John tells us that before there was anything, Jesus was. He is eternal, having neither beginning nor nor end. In eternity past, he was with God and he was God. As God, he is the creator of all things. There would be nothing if he had not brought all things into existence. So when we say that the word became flesh, we are saying that the eternal God became flesh. God became a man. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 describes it this way. Jesus made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. That word likeness there, it speaks of that which is made like something else. You know, we, we sometimes say of, uh, of family members or, or different individuals, you, you look just like your dad. Or you look just like your Uncle Leroy or, or, or whatever the case may be. You see the resemblance there, the, the likeness. It's, it's, it's more than, in this case, just having the appearance of something. It is actually becoming something else. He was God, but he was made a man. He, he was not a clone or some reasonable facsimile of a man, but a genuine man who walked among men. The word literally became flesh. And as Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 states, he became flesh and blood like you and me. So I want us to think about the word when he became flesh. Let's look at verse 14 again in John chapter 1. We kind of transitioned into it, segued into it last week, and that's going to uh, be the thrust of this morning's message as we consider the word when he became flesh. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's this morning first think of the moment when the word became flesh. That moment, 
There was a moment in time when Mary brought forth her firstborn son, according to Luke chapter 2. There was that moment when the word came into the world as a baby. But this was not just any moment in time. You know, whenever a child is born uh, in, in our day and time, uh, in most hospitals, in fact, uh, have, a, have an unusual practice. It's kind of a neat thing, and some people don't even realize what this is. But many times you'll be in a hospital, and you'll hear a little lullaby played over the PA system. It's really kind of a neat thing. What that tells you is that a baby has just been born in that hospital's nursery. A, a baby has come into the world. That's kind of an announcement of that moment. You know, and, and, when, and whenever you're giving the specifics of, of a child being born in your family, whether it's a, a child of your own or a grandchild, even a great-grandchild, th- then many times you know the exact time in which they came into the world. There was that moment. Uh, I, I don't know what it was about our, our first three, our oldest bunch. We, I don't know how we, we, we have difficult. We, we sometimes call the, the older kids, you know. I don't know how else to put it. But but they were all born around 4.30, either 4.30 in the morning or 4.30 in the afternoon. I I don't know what it was, but they all came right around that time. I don't remember the exact times uh, of of each of their births, but I do know that it was right around 4 something, uh, either again in the morning or in the afternoon. There was this moment when the word came into the world as a baby. But again, this was not just any moment in time. It was... The moment in time. It was an eternal moment that that had been marked on heaven's calendar from eternity past. Now, we we try to get it right in in this crazy world of ours. You know, a a, a lady, you know, there's some indications that she might be with child. And so, uh, you know, it says, you know, it may be that I need to take a, a test, a pregnancy test. Many times a, a home pregnancy test is, is taken. And then, and then if there are indications that, yeah, indeed, I am pregnant, then, then at some point there's a, an initial visit to the doctor. And in one of those initial visits to the doctor, usually a due date is determined. And everybody wants to know, when are you due? When's your due date? And that date is, is circled on the calendar and that date is highlighted. and Everybody has that date planted firmly in their minds. Occasionally, that baby actually comes on that due date. Occasionally. But not normally. I, I don't know about you, but, it, but in our experience, none of our kids were actually born on their due date. You know, it's really, it's some, some educated guessing going on there by, by the medical team. And so you can try to pinpoint the day. You would sure have a difficult time pinpointing the moment in time. I mean, the exact time. But this particular case, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Paul was declaring there in Galatians chapter 4 that the moment the word became flesh was much more than a historical moment. Even though it was the most significant moment in history, it was an eternal moment that pulsated with the divine. Think about this. It was a prophetic moment. It was a prophetic moment. The prophecy was given in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
The prophecy was given in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me uh, that, that one is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The prophecy was given in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And there are many, many other prophecies concerning the Word becoming flesh. But just those three remind us that his birth was a prophetic moment. A prophetic moment. It, it was a moment that had been predicted in prophecy. Not only was it a prophetic moment, but it was a perfect moment. A perfect moment. You know, sometimes we would say that a, a baby didn't necessarily arrive at, at a perfect time. You know? Uh, one time, several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I was asking some of the students in our youth ministry to uh, share their testimony and, uh, and, and even to tell us where they were born. It was just kind of an interesting thing to see the different areas where some of the kids in our youth ministry had been born. And w- one of our kids in the youth group, in his testimony, said he was born in a car. Well, I misunderstood him at first. I thought he meant like a town named Car. No, no, he said, no, 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 brother Mike, I was born in the car. Like, his mama and he, they didn't make it to the hospital, so he was born in the car. Well, I can guarantee you that that's not the way they planned it. All right? That, that was not in, in her mind. When she found out she was pregnant with her son, that's not what she thought. You know, I think it'd be a neat thing if he could be born in the car. Oh, sometimes they come at, you know, kind of an inconvenient time. Uh, sometimes they're a surprise. Trust me, I know. A big surprise. And so you make adjustments and, and you do what's necessary to prepare for the arrival of this baby. And so once again, you're back in the market looking for car carriers and cribs and little people clothes and all of those things that I had totally forgotten about. Some would say that that's inconvenient. I guess you could look at it that way. Uh, we chose not to look at, at Addie's coming into our world, into our family as an inconvenience. But it was a surprise. But think about this. When Christ came into this world, it was a perfect moment. It was a perfect moment. The time was right culturally. Alexander the Great had established Greek culture and language throughout the known world. Uh, The Roman Empire had organized the whole Mediterranean basin uh, into one vast communication network, uh, almost perfectly geared to foster the spread of Christianity. It was a perfect moment culturally. The time was perfect. Uh, The time was right politically. Rome had spread the the welcome blanket of peace uh, across the world in the the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace, which provided economic and political stability. That enabled the apostles to travel freely throughout the empire or the, uh, on this magnificent system of roads that were built by the Romans and, and Christianity to, to, to thrive. The time was right religiously. I, the Jews had developed synagogues for worship and schools and courts and, and such. Israel had once and for all forsaken the idolatry uh, into which she had so often fallen. 
And although they would reject Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Jewish people were looking and longing for the Messiah to bring in his kingdom. It was the perfect time for the word to become flesh. Now, we may call it timing, but the proper term, biblically speaking, is providence. We've talked about that. Providence. God had so orchestrated history, had so orchestrated time to arrange for a perfect time for the Word to become flesh. Uh, something that's been going on recently, on, I've noticed on Facebook, is ladies are sharing their pregnancy stories. You know, and so if one lady like gives you a number, tags you or something, then then that kind of like obligates you to tell your story. You know, but you know it's interesting if you're around a group of ladies and they start talking about their pregnancies and things. It, it's like, you know, I just kind of back out of that conversation. You know, it's just kind of a, an interesting. But, but typically in a conversation like that, or you see these people share some of the details of their pregnancies, they will say, "Oh, this one came two weeks early." Or, or th- this one was two weeks late. I just could not wait for him. You know, and all of you ladies are here this morning who have children who've given birth. You know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. When Christ came in the flesh, he was not late. He was not early. He was right on time. At the perfect moment, in the fullness of time. It was a precise Moment. The phrase fullness of time that, that we've referred to means that Jesus came the exact precise moment that had been determined by God. In eternity past, God had set the time. I believe he set the year. I believe he set the month. I believe he set the day. I believe he set the hour that his son would become flesh. Now we get our English word chronology uh, from the word translated uh, fullness of time. In God's chronological sequence of events, Jesus was born at the precise moment that had been predetermined. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have what's called the Proto-Evangelium. There's a prophecy given, and it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The when was established by God and occurred according to His will. According to His will. Some babies come early, some babies come late. But this baby, the Word becoming flesh, occurred at the very moment that had been set by God. The moment of the Word becoming flesh. Let's consider, secondly, this morning, the miracle of the Word becoming flesh. You know, there are multitudes of babies that have been born uh, since Cain and Abel, uh, more than we're able to count. But none have had a birth like when the Word became flesh. His birth was unlike any other birth. His birth was a miraculous birth. The Word became flesh not by means of a natural birth, but a supernatural birth. Now today, when we say that a baby is born natural, we mean without the aid of uh, epidural or a cesarean section or something like that. It's a natural birth. What we're talking about here is a supernatural birth. Scripture tells us it was a virgin birth. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. 
The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. We read in Luke chapter 1, 26 and 27, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to, uh, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. If you look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, you, you find a... Uh, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 16 there, it says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And you'll notice there that it does not say that Joseph begat Jesus. It says that Joseph was the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus. It says that he was born of Mary, which is a direct reference to his virgin birth. There's a guy named Nicholas Kristof, who's a columnist for the New York Times. And back in March of 2003, he wrote a column in which he spoke of, uh, of, of us evangelical Christians as strange people uh, with a, a radical religious beliefs that will do great harm to our nation. Then in August of that same year, 2003, he wrote another column in which he said, The faith in the virgin birth reflects the way that American Christianity is becoming less intellectual and more mystical over time. Now, Christoph is a Harvard graduate, a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, which would make many people call him a smart person. I would not be among them, okay? I have to place myself in Christoph's less intellectual group because I do believe and I do hold firmly to the truth that Jesus was born, as the Bible declares, a virgin birth. A virgin birth. I agree with Al Mohler who said Christians must face the fact that a denial of the virgin birth is a denial of Jesus as the Christ. The virgin birth does not stand alone as a biblical doctrine. It is an irreducible part of the biblical revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. With it, the gospel stands or falls. In other words, this is one of those issues, this is one of those doctrines that we would hold in a closed fist. It's, it's not an open-handed kind of thing. It's not like, well, you know, you might, dis you might not believe Jesus was born of a virgin, but we... No, no, no. It's essential. It's essential. And never let some supposed scholar make you feel like some dimwit because you believe the Bible and what it says about the virgin birth. There are a lot of supposed intellectuals out there today who believe that as Christians, we check our brains at the door. We don't. We don't. When the Word became flesh, it was through the miracle of a virgin birth. Not only was it a virgin birth, it was a vital birth. The angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You see, if Jesus were to save his people from their sins, the virgin birth was vital. It was absolutely necessary. The virgin birth was essential uh, for, for it's the base of a sinless Jesus. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So the Bible's telling us that we have inherited a sinful nature. That's through Adam. 
Right? So we've, we've inherited this nature. If Jesus had had an earthly father, he would have inherited the same sinful nature. And as well, if Jesus was to be our substitute and, and was to save his people from their sins, he had to present an absolute sinless life. Even the slightest taint of sin would have disqualified him to be our substitute. It was necessary for him to become flesh in such a way that he would not possess inherited depravity. This could only be accomplished through a virgin birth. If he was not born of a virgin, then he could not be our savior. If he could not be a, our savior, then we can't be saved from our sins. Thank the Lord today that Jesus was virgin born. The word became flesh. He became flesh at the time set by God. He became flesh by means of the miracle of the virgin birth. But I want you to think lastly with me today of the motive of the word becoming flesh. There was a song made popular a number of years ago. It has a beautiful message. This is such a strange way to save the world. Such a strange way to save the world. It could only be conceived in the mind of God himself. What's the motive? Well, back to our text here of John chapter 1 verse 14. Again, we read, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Pay special attention to the words, dwelt among us. In those words, I believe we have the motive or the reason why the word became flesh. He became one with us. The word dwelt means to, to tent or it means to encamp. Uh, literally, it speaks of how the word became a person and took upon himself human flesh. He became one with us. He took up abode in a human body. That's why Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says, for, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Dr. Robert Moyer said in a sermon, in Jesus, divine omnipotence moved in a human arm. In Jesus, divine wisdom was cradled in a human brain. In Jesus, divine love throbbed in a human heart. In Jesus, divine compassion glistened in a human eye. And in Jesus, divine grace poured forth from human lips. Someone else wrote it this way, "'Twas much that man was made like God before." but that God should be made like man much more. The Word was made flesh. He became one of us. The question before us is why did He become one of us? You see, the Word not only became one with us, but the Word also became one of us. He rose each morning after a night of sleep, just like we do. Put on clothes, much like we do. He ate food and grew hungry, just like we do. The Bible makes it clear to us that he wept, just like we do. What's the motive? Why was that necessary? You know, one of the challenges of being a pastor in the same church for more than just two or three, four years uh, is this season. You, know, you sit in your study and you begin to pray and you begin to look at the Christmas story and all that it involves and you think to yourself, 
how else can I present this? How else, can, what other angle can we take as we look at this miraculous birth and God coming in human form and, and all those things? And, and there are a lot of stories out there that you could tell, and I've used some of those. You know, the, the story of the, uh, of the man who said he didn't believe in God and his family went on to church without him, and then a snowstorm blew in, and there was this flock of geese that were there, and, and he wanted to get them into the barn, but there was no way that he could communicate to them in such a way that, uh, that they would know to go into the barn. And so he thought to himself, if if I could just become a goose, then I could communicate that we need to go into the barn to a place of safety. And there are a number of stories like that. And I got to thinking, you know, for a number of years, I had the privilege, by the grace of God, to, to travel quite extensively and to preach in a lot of different places. In fact, there's only a, a handful of, of states in the United States where I've not had the privilege of opening the Word of God and preaching. And so that meant, obviously, a lot of travel especially during certain periods of my life. And this all really started over 20-some years ago. So things have changed pretty dramatically over that, that 20 years. And what would happen most of the time early on um, is, is a conference or a convention director would send me a packet of information as it got closer to time uh, for that particular event. And it would have all of my flight information in it. It would have the location where I'd be speaking. It would have the location where I'd be staying during that week and, and all of those sorts of things. And, and many times, I, I would obviously have fly into a city that I was not real familiar with. Uh, many times, I'd never been there before. And it seemed like a lot of times, I ended up flying into that city at night. Because what would happen is I would leave on a Sunday afternoon many times. Uh, to be there in time to preach or start speaking on Monday morning. And so it would be later in the evening a lot of times by the time I caught my flights and all those different things. So not only am I flying into a, a, a city that I'm not familiar with, but I'm flying into a city that I'm not familiar with in the dark. Okay, then they would have it arranged for me to, to pick up a rental car. They would already have it reserved for me, and so I could go to the counter, pick up a rental car. But then I would have to get behind the wheel of that rental car, a car that I'm not familiar with, and drive to a place I've never been before. In the dark. All right? Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't really freak me out that much. I figure, you know, if, if worse comes to worse, I'll stop and ask for directions. Just don't tell my wife, okay? Well, in, in the early days of doing all that, there was no GPS. You know, th th there were no cell phones, you know, so I could put the address in my cell phone and my Google Maps, and I could just hit a button, and it would give me, you know, step-by-step -step directions to the place. No, many times I literally had a map unfolded in the car, looking at this map, trying to follow. You know, what highway do I need to get on? Or what, you know, where do I need to go? All those sorts of things. And, and, and several times I got a bit turned around or I made a wrong turn or I'd have to go down and you know, I'd miss an exit. I'd have to go down and turn around and come back. And it was just kind of an ordeal. And, and a lot of times it took me a lot longer to get to where I wanted to go or needed to go than it really should have. Now, they had given me some guidance, thankfully. They'd sent me information, they'd sent me the address, they'd sent me the, you know, as much information as they could give me to help me get to where I needed to be so that that next morning I would be in my place ready to speak at that conference. Sometimes, however, they would actually send somebody to the airport to pick me up. Now, do you suppose that the ride from the airport to my hotel was different when I had somebody driving me? You better know it was. 
See, when, when I was just relying on guidance, maps and the information that I've been given in my packet, I, th- that's all I had to go on. And so I, I, was, you know, I was a little more tense, obviously. I, I was certainly more aware of my surroundings or I was trying to get acclimated to where I was. And many times one of the first things I would want to do is determine, okay, which direction is north here? You know, I have to kind of get my bearings and, and those sorts of things. But when somebody came to pick me up, I mean, when I got off the plane, this guy'd be standing there with a sign, Pastor Lovely. And I'm like, I'm your man, you know? And then we could go down to the baggage claim area. I could get my baggage. I could get in the car. And this person could drive me exactly to where I needed to be while I slept if I wanted to. I was in big chill mode. Why? Because now I don't just have guidance. I have a guide. See, that's what God did for us in sending his son to Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just give us guidance. He didn't just say, hey, do these things and these things and this thing and take this step and that step and, and, and obey my law and all these things. And, and, and then you'll find your way eventually to me for all of eternity. If you'll just be good enough, if you'll just be a good moral person, if you'll just follow these guidelines. He didn't do that. Because then we would be left to go, oh, I missed that turn. I totally blew that exit. You know, the guideline says I'm to do this and that, but I find myself doing this. So instead, God said, I'll not just give you guidance. I'll send you the guide. That's why Jesus could truthfully say in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you have placed your faith and trust in the one who became flesh, the guide, you don't have to every day wake up worrying, fretting, wondering, am I being good enough? Have I taken the right turns to get to an eternity with Almighty God? No. It's not about wondering if you've interpreted the guidance just right. No. It's about placing your faith and trust in the guide. The one who became flesh. Paid the penalty for your sin and mine. And it's as you place your faith and trust in him. That you can know. Your eternal destiny is secure. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. The big question this morning is. Is not. Do you know about the Christ of Christmas? There's not a person in the room today who doesn't know and understand that Christmas is really about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's a great thing to know. It's a great thing to understand, especially in this commercialized world in which we live. The message gets really mixed up in all that, doesn't it? But you know, far more important than knowing about the Christ of Christmas or that Christmas is about Christ is you and me knowing the Christ of Christmas. You know, typically when you go to a person's birthday celebration, you you know the person. Seldom do do we get an invitation to to a birthday, uh, a birthday celebration for a person that we don't know at all. Well, if Christmas is the celebration of someone's birth, and we believe it is, then... Don't you think it's important that you know the person? 
Again, it's not a matter of knowing about him. Do you know him? Do you know him personally as your Savior and your Lord? Have you come to a place where you said, I can't save myself? It's not about simple guidance. It's about the guide. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I invite you this morning to take a step of faith and come to Christ. It's as simple as acknowledging that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that you can't save yourself. And understanding that Jesus Christ paid the price that you could never pay. Scripture says if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. It's a step of faith. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's the gift of God. Are you thankful this morning that the word became flesh? In just a moment, as we sing a song of invitation, if God's working in your heart, then I invite you to come. Maybe you just simply need to come and pray this morning. Maybe you bring a burden with you today that uh, it's difficult to bear on your own. You need to give it to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we thank you for uh, the many, many promises and prophecies that were fulfilled in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he became flesh. If there's anyone here today that does not yet know the guide, the one sent to be the way, the truth, the life, and I pray that today, by your Holy Spirit, by the power of your word, they be drawn to you. Lord, may each one of us leave here today with a profound new appreciation for the incarnation, the message of Christmas, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church. We invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near. We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.